bless you. Good morning, Katie family. It's such a privilege to be here with you today. Um, thank you so much to Pastor Mark and Kathy for your invitation um, to come and be a part of what you're doing here and what God is doing here. And uh, we've just loved our time in London over this weekend. Me personally, I haven't been to London properly since before the pandemic. So it was great um, for us to do that. Shapi's coming home to London. He's Nigerian born, but grew up in North London. Um, I, on the other hand, I was born and bred in Oxford to Jamaican parents. Um, so, you know, in our house, after 19 years of being together, we still have the plantain, plantain debate. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? We w I won't start any arguments today, and I won't tell you that Jamaicans cook the best jollof rice either. <laughs> because I don't want to fall out with you before we get started. You might not receive that word, but I'm praying that you do receive the word that God has put on my heart for you today. You know, as I prepared for this talk today, I remembered about a podcast that I listened to a while ago by the la a, name, a lady by the name of Jackie Hill Perry. She had some guests on with her, and they were talking about her, uh, their spiritual heroes, both men and women, um, living and dead from the past and present. Some of those people were famous figures and names you would be familiar with. Others may be less so and ones that um, were perhaps a little bit more personal to them. And as I listened, I um, remembered thinking, wow, all of these people have something in particular in common. They seem to have this like unshakable faith, even in the midst of adversity, that led them to pray some really bold prayers and believe God for them. As I listened to that podcast, I began to think about one of my spiritual heroes. You probably wouldn't be familiar with her. Her name was Gwendolyn Steele. She was born in Jamaica in 1930, and as a married woman in her early 30s, she travelled to the UK following her husband, who had travelled some years earlier, and she came to make a better life here for her and her six children, who she slowly brought over as the years passed. She faced much adversity. She worked really hard to overcome the barriers presented to her because of racism and poverty and everything else. And she worked really hard to uh, make a better life for her and her family. The people at the small Pentecostal church that she attended all knew her as Sister Gwen, but I knew her as my nan. I have really fond memories of going to church with my nan as a small child. I was mesmerised by how she would effortlessly beat the tambourine in time on her leg or on the palm of her hand. I was just in awe of her. She would always put some coins in my hand discreetly because she never wanted the offering basket to pass me by without me being able to make a contribution. She was that kind of woman. But what I remember most about my nan is what I saw in her. Way before I ever heard the words of Philippians 4 and verse 6, I knew that she was a woman that in every situation she took her request to God with a grateful heart, but she did so prayerfully. 
She was the kind of woman who didn't have faith dependent on the outcome. She had faith dependent on the God that she served. She had this even if kind of faith, so to speak. She was the kind of woman that would say, even if I can't see it, I'm going to believe for it. Like, even if I can't reach it, I am going to move towards it. Even if I can't hear it, I'm going to listen out for it. Even if I haven't received it, I'm going to thank God for it. Are there any even if people in the house today? I learned a lot about prayer from my nan. And that's why I've thought about her quite a bit as I've prepared this talk this week because I really believe that we are called to be a people of prayer. And I believe that there's a call on this house for this house to be a house of prayer. I don't think they heard me, Pastor Mark. There's a call on this house to be a house of prayer. You, Katie. You're called to be a people of prayer. And you don't need me to tell you that we're living through some really difficult times. We've, um, we're kind of coming through a global pandemic. We know that war is raging just not too far from us in Europe. Many of you will be concerned about the conflicts that have been going on in your home nations for some time. We're going through some difficult times. Some of you in the room have really individually journeyed through some tough times, some real adversity. Maybe you're watching online today and you're still journeying through what feels like a desert place. It's really tough. And sometimes we say, all we can do is pray. We use this narrative about prayer as though it's a last resort. We use this narrative about prayer as though, well, we can't do anything else. We can't do anything better, so let's just pray. We say it as though we're coming from a place of hopelessness instead of a place where we know about the person of God and who we are praying to. Folks, I need you to know today, prayer isn't the least you can do. Prayer isn't all you can do. Prayer is ultimately the most that you can do. So we need to change that narrative around the way that we talk about prayer. And what I want to do today is just take you to a portion of scripture because I want your faith to arise in this place. I really want you to be reminded about what what God can do when the church prays. So if you have your Bibles with you today, could you turn with me to Acts chapter 12? I believe the words will appear on the screen for you as well. You may have a paper Bible or a device. I'm going to be using my uh, iPad and reading from the NIV version. Acts chapter 12. The first four verses say this. It's about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intended to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread after, uh, unleavened bread, excuse me. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. 
Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Now, let me give you a little bit of context. The early church knew what it was to go through a period of adversity. They knew what it was to um, have oppression and opposition, and it was a really difficult time for them. Now, this Herod that was in charge, he was the grandson of the Herod who was in charge at the time of Jesus' birth. Now, that guy was the guy who was so threatened by the idea of a newborn king being born that he ordered all the infants to be slaughtered. This Herod, Herod Agrippa, was the nephew of Herod Antipas. Now, Herod Antipas was one of the people who were in charge at the time of Jesus' trial, and he would have had a hand in that too. You see, the apple didn't fall far from that particular tree. The early church were really up against it. James had been put to death. He wasn't the first Christian martyr, that was Stephen, but he was the first of Jesus' 12 to die for the faith. So this would have come as a real blow to them. And the Jewish law didn't permit that trial or execution could happen during the Passover period. So instead, Peter was put in prison under maximum security guard at that time. He was guarded around the clock by four squads of four soldiers each. And Herod intended to bring him out for public trial and certainly execution after the Passover. But verse 5 says this. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Peter was in prison, but the church were earnestly praying to God for him. You see, Peter had lost his freedom, but the church was free. The church was free to pray. When they were up against human power, the church had the power of prayer. They were mourning the death of their brother and their brother in Christ. So I would imagine that some of those prayers were just prayers of lament, where they just poured out their emotion to God. And I think sometimes as Christians, we can believe that we shouldn't talk to God about the tough stuff. We shouldn't tell him when we're disappointed or when we're confused or when we don't know where to turn, that we should only talk to him about the good stuff. But have you read the Psalms? But the Psalms is full of honest emotion being poured out. The fears, the failures, the disappointment, it's all being poured out to God. But they never fail to worship him. They were probably praying from a position of loss. But they never lost their hope in God. Church, we are called to pray. The church prayed earnestly continuously for Peter and that word earnest isn't a word that we tend to use very often in our normal day-to-day vocabulary but it's this sincere intense conviction it's serious prayer and the Greek word that's used here is the word ektonos and it gives this picture of someone stretching out all they can in prayer before God It's the same word, that word ektonos, that Luke uses when he describes the anguish of Jesus as he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. Some of us struggle to tell God about the tough stuff. Do you remember that Jesus prayed in anguish to the Father? 
earnest, stretching out all you can for something kind of prayer has power. Not because it somehow convinces God to do something that he wasn't going to do already, but simply because it demonstrates your heart posture. It demonstrates that you care passionately about the things that are already on God's heart. You see, church, when we're faced with opposition, when we're faced with oppression and disappointment and discrimination, when we're faced with pain and loss and grief, when it feels like in life all the doors have been slammed, closed and shut, we need to remember that the gates of heaven are open wide and we have easy access through that gate because of our prayers. I need you to know that your voices are far-reaching and atmosphere-changing. Like when you pray, it reaches heaven. When you pray, the creator of the universe hears your voice. Whether you pray out loud like an extrovert or whether you pray in the quietness and the stillness of your own heart, God hears your prayer and he's in the business of answering them, church. He cares about the things that you care about. He cares about the pandemic. He cares about the war in Ukraine and all the other conflicts around the world. He cares about the decisions that our governments are making. He cares deeply about you, your financial, spiritual, vocational, um, emotional health. He cares about every single aspect of you. He cares about the things that are on your heart that you've never said to another person, but he hears you even in the stillness of your heart. He cares deeply about the things that you carry in your heart, even the things that you can't find the words for. Billy Graham said this, to get nations back on their feet, we must first get down on our knees. Church, we are called to be a people of prayer. Early church would have been wondering, what's going on? How can this be? James is dead. Peter is in prison. Like Peter, of all people, Peter was the guy where when he walked past, people were trying to lie lie down in the hope that his shadow would just touch them because there was so much uh, power coming off of him. They would have been hit hard by this, but perhaps God was teaching them to trust him even when they didn't understand what was going on. Could it be that God is teaching us to trust him even when we don't understand what is going on? And sometimes our prayer needs to simply be, Lord, I choose to trust you. Sometimes we don't have any other words than that, but that's enough. The text tells us that the night before Peter um, was to go to trial, he was sleeping. He was chained between two guards and there were sentries guarding the entrance of the prison cell. And I always find that really interesting because I don't know about you, but when I'm anxious about anything or worried at all about something big that's going to happen, the first thing that gets disrupted is my sleep. Like I really struggle to sleep. You know, if I'm doing something big like speaking at KT or something like that, 
I tend to get a little bit anxious and my sleep is disturbed, but Peter doesn't seem to be anxious at all. And it was really unusual for this heavy guard to be on one person, but Herod wasn't taking any chances because he knew that God had done it before. He had released Peter and some of the other apostles miraculously from prison. You can read about it in Acts chapter um, 5. So Peter knew that God had done it again and he was more than uh, done it before. So he was more than capable of doing it again if it were his will. But maybe. Just maybe Peter could sleep because he knows that God never sleeps. Maybe you and I need to rest a little easier knowing that while we sleep, our God is still at work. Amen. Our God never sleeps. Let's pick up the story in verse 7. It says, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. See, God loves to give us those suddenly moments. Those moments where we suddenly realise his hand has been at work the whole time. Those moments where we step back and we say, only God could have done that. God loves those suddenly moments. The soldiers, the chains, the guard posts, the gate, none of those things were a barrier for Peter because God was with him and prayer was behind him. So despite what Herod had intended and despite what the Jews were hoping would happen, God turned what they meant to harm him, God turns it around for good. And this is real encouragement for us, church, because what we see here is what can happen when the church prays. We see that situations are transformed. We see that chains are broken, obstacles are removed. People walk in freedom and God's name is glorified. Verse 12 says this, When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Folks, Clearly, this isn't the first time that people gathered at Mary's house to pray. 
Peter knew exactly where to go to find people who were praying. And scholars suggested that the large upper room of her house was potentially the location of where Jesus had the Last Supper. Wouldn't it be great if when people came to my house and your house, they would always find someone there praying? Like, imagine what God would do If any time of the day or night, someone could knock at our door and find that somebody is in there praying, I believe there'll be real transformation. So Rhoda hears a knock at the door. She had been at the prayer meeting with them. She goes to see who was at the door and it was customary for people to announce themselves. So she recognises Peter's voice. She's so excited that she forgets to open the door. She runs back into the prayer meeting to tell everybody what has just happened. Like, can you imagine if you're here on Wednesday night praying for something and someone runs in and says, stop. Stop praying. God has already done it. He's already answered your prayers. Can you imagine that in this place? But I wonder how many times, how many times God has already answered our prayers and we've just failed to notice it. I wonder how many times we keep praying the same prayer over and over again and God has answered that prayer but because it didn't show up in the way we expected, because it didn't come in the package that we ordered, we fail to realise that God's hand has been at work the whole time. Those suddenly moments isn't God suddenly showing up, it's us suddenly being aware that he has been there the whole time. Rhoda isn't even one of the main characters. (laughs) She was a servant girl, but she was a part of that prayer meeting. She heard their faith. Maybe she had been praying her own prayers too. So she was excited when she heard what had happened. She runs back into the prayer meeting. She tells them that the thing that they've been asking for has been answered, that Peter is at the door. And because they are such faith-filled Christians, their response to Rhoda is, you're out of your mind. (laughs) It must be his angel. They actually found it easier to believe that it was Peter's angel at the door rather than Peter himself. And these are the folks that had been earnestly praying. (laughs) Yet, they didn't expect Peter. What are you expecting for? Are you just earnestly praying? Or are you earnestly praying and expecting that God is going to answer those prayers in a way that is immeasurably more than you can even comprehend in your own mind? Peter keeps on knocking, verse 16. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. They were surprised to see him. It says that Rhoda was overjoyed. She was full of excitement. They were full of amazement. They were surprised. Folks, I think we need to be a little bit more like Rhoda. I'm just putting it out there. 
Like Rhoda was able to see something that others couldn't see. She anticipated answers to bold prayers. She was expecting that God would do something immeasurably more than she could even think of. We need to be a little bit more like Rhoda. But I think sometimes we discount our prayers. We think that our prayers are not good enough, long enough, bold enough. We don't use the right words. But I'm here to tell you that God hears every single prayer that is prayed and he is in the business of answering them. Max Licardo says this, our prayers may be awkward, Our attempts may be feeble, but since the power of prayer is in the one who hears rather than the one who prays, then our prayers do make a difference. Here's a few more things that I think that we can really learn from this text. Pray in people. Pray at home. Pray in people. Pray at home. And I really believe that through the pandemic, um, there's been a new opportunity that has risen. People have been praying in their homes in a new way, in a way that you perhaps have never prayed in your home before because you've been spending way more time there. And there's some seeds that have been planted and some foundation that has been laid that you need to keep stirring up. Can I encourage you to keep looking for God in the secret place, in the quietness of of your own home? There are some prayers that have been praised in your home that you haven't even seen the fruit of them yet, but it's coming, church. But keep on praying, because praying people pray at home. You are called to be a people of prayer, Kensington Temple, so make sure that you pray. Praying people pray at home, but they also pray as a church We see the power of prayer when the church united in prayer for Peter. Can I encourage you to unite in prayer in this place, in your cell groups, in your Wednesday night uh, prayer meetings, in your services. Unite in prayer in this place because there is real power about what God is stirring up in this house. KT is called to be a house of prayer. You are called to be a people of prayer. So would you arise, prayer warriors, in this place and accept Accept the call of God. Praying people pray at home. And praying people pray as a church. And praying people pray for heaven's perspective. You know, we need to stop looking at our situation through the lens of the world and start looking at our situation through the lens of heaven. We need to pray and ask God for perspective so that instead of seeing our problems, we can see the potential. Like instead of seeing our troubles, we can see the opportunity to triumph. Instead of seeing powerlessness, we start seeing the unlimited power of the God that we serve. Some of us need to pray for heaven's perspective in this place. 
My prayer for you, KT, is that God will open up your spiritual eyes so that you start to see things through heaven's lens, so that you can see all that God is doing in you and through you, and you can keep in step with his spirit. Amen? Amen. I wonder if the band would join me. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. This house is called to be a house of prayer. And I strongly believe that if you answer that call, you will see chains broken. You will see situations transformed. You will see obstacles overcome. You will see doors that people have shut in your way. God will come and fly, kick them open. You will see triumph. You will see freedom. And you will see God's name glorified because of it. Church. He has something that he wants to do here. In you and through you. And I really love to just declare some truths over you today before I finish. So if you're able, can I just uh, invite you to stand with me? I just want to pray some declarations over this house. And KT, it's time to receive it. You may just want to open your hands and receive what God has for you today. Kensington Temple. I pray that God will open your spiritual eyes to see things not only as the world sees them, but through heaven's lens so that you can see what God is doing and keep in step with it. I declare that you will experience God's supernatural favour, that your lives will be littered with suddenly moments where you stand back and say, only God could have done that. I declare that you will experience breakthrough in this place, that you will see situations transformed, chains broken, obstacles removed, and people will walk in freedom in the mighty name of Jesus. I declare that God will use you, Kensington Temple. He will use you to help others see through his lens, that he will use you to help others see his hand at work. I declare that this house and your house is a house of prayer. I declare that you are a people of prayer and you will have unshakable faith even in the midst of adversity and you will pray bold prayers expectant that God will do immeasurably more than you can even comprehend. I pray for an anointing on your prayer group. I pray for an anointing on your cell group. I pray for an anointing on your services. I pray for an anointing on your leaders. I pray for an anointing on the prayer warriors that God is raising up in this place. I pray for an anointing on your children and your youth. I pray an anointing that when you leave this place and you scatter across London, you carry the presence of God into the spaces and the places that he has strategically put you and those places will be transformed for the glory of God. Amen. Amen.